This is For Your Ears Only, the audio series that takes some deep dives into the world of podcasting. I'm Lance Dan. And I'm Martin Spinelli. Today we're going to take a break from our usual format and we're going to do something that's a bit more chatcast. We've got some guests with us that are going to help us think about where podcasting has gone since we finished our research in the spring of 2018 and where it might be headed, where it might be going in the future. So Lance and I are joined in the studio by Fiona Sturgis, who is an arts writer for the Financial Times and The Guardian. She writes a weekly column on podcasting for the FT. Hello. Hi. And by Michael Bull. He's often called Professor iPod. He's written loads and loads about mobile media over the years. Hi there. Hi, Michael. And by Ella Gray Thomas, who is one of the two brilliant and creative and skillful producers on For Your Ears Only. Hello. Right. So the first thing I want to do is go around and ask everyone about their first memory of podcast listening, first memory of listening to a podcast and what you think might have changed since that moment. So Ella, let's start with you. I knew this question was coming up, but I did have to think about it for quite a while because, and I'm sorry to say it, but I was a child. Um, (laughs) I had to rack my brains about it because I couldn't really remember. And then I remembered that I think the first podcast that I listened to was Doctor Who used to do a podcast. So what happened to the Doctor Who podcast? Uh, They did audio commentaries of all the episodes and then they put them out as a podcast. I think it was on Radio 7 as well. But yeah, and then I think that sparked me looking into what other podcasts were. Michael, how about you? I'm sadly one of these statistics, you know, older people don't listen to podcasts very often. But in fact, because I knew I was doing this, I did actually kind of listen to uh, End of Days, actually, which is the BBC podcast uh, on Waco. Was that your first podcast experience for this show? I turned off. (laughs) This is a level of expertise. I turned off from. I was telling. Um, Why are you Martin, here? I, I was telling Martin. <laughs> is that it too late I never, to put someone else? Yes, <laughs> that I never use material that I research into anyway. So when I, I, I did the first book on iPods, and I'd never used an iPod, but in fact, because I don't get in the way of it. Objective distance. Fiona, how about you? So what's an early memory of listening to a podcast? Well, I suppose mine came about from a weird direction because I used to write a column in The Independent purely on radio. And I was very aware when I took the job that being the radio critic was a bit of an old lady job. And how can I make it a bit cooler? (laughs) So I heard about this thing called podcasting, which sounded a bit hipster and cool. And, you know, there were these nice American voices and none of the kind of Radio 4 nonsense. So I came across this podcast called Radio Lab and and had my Damascene moment. thought I can make this column cooler and by extension I can make me cooler by writing about (laughs) podcasts and just doing a little bit of Radio 4 on the side. So Radio Lab was my first experience and it was it was quite an eye opener. I mean, in all seriousness, it was it was an eye opener because I'd been I've been reared on BBC Radio, and it's it's um, you don't realise what you're missing until you come across something else that sounds completely different. And just the sound design was interesting, and the stories were interesting, and it just sounded cool. That's all I can say. It was cool. It made me cool. I'm no longer cool. Ah, <laughs> no, it's very cool. You know, it was also my first podcast. I, was yeah, it? it? It transformed the way I I, I listened. So. Lance, how about you? What? Very early on, about 2006-07, the BBC World Service, completely away from the rest of the BBC, started making podcasts out of their documentaries. And I subscribed to this, and I kind of 
I didn't know how to behave as a listener. So they kept on putting them out week in, week out, and I was falling behind. And I remember just like looking at my queue, going, I've got 40 of these things to go for. And there's one about finances in India. There's one about cattle in the Philippines. And I was sort of like wading through this material. You like felt it, obliged it to was, listen to everything. I didn't understand that they just, you know, I didn't have to listen to everything, apparently. When we were doing the first draft of the introduction for our book, we were drafting that introduction in 2017, we cited Nick Kwa, who writes the industry newsletter Hot Pod, um, as saying there were then 350,000 podcasts available. Less than a year later, Nielsen uh, made that total 550,000, um, so a huge jump. This is a kind of sort of runaway gold rush standard for um, people diving into podcasting. What, what do we think that that rapid growth means for the typical podcast listener? I think maybe ask Fiona, as, I mean, you review a lot of material and sift a lot of material. How's that affecting the quality of material that you're getting? I think broadly, the quality is better. The breadth of subject is probably broader. But, I mean, yeah, you can't really say the quality is definitely better. It's the, the good stuff has got gooder and the bad stuff <laughs> has got badder. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There so there's is this, more on both ends. Yeah, there is this idea of, you know, podcasting being this great sort of democratic force because anyone can do it. And, yeah, great, that's a really good thing. But it's also a really terrible thing because anyone can do it. It means that any idiot's going to do it and think they can put out this podcast and, and why hasn't it become a hit? So, you know, the good stuff rises to the top. You know, when mm. I first started the column on the on the FT, which must have been 2016, the editor who said, but is there going to be enough to write about, Fiona? And I was like, really? Prom- just trust me that there's going to be enough to write about. And now, and now, you know, lots and lots and lots of good stuff gets left by the wayside because I just don't have space for it. You know, it is a rapid growth area, but the idea of podcasting generally being saturated, I don't really hold with, but I do think that certain areas are in danger of getting saturated certain genres do you feel that there's a space for the indie podcast or is it all going to be network i think it's it there's always going to be space for an indie podcast just in the same in the same way that there's going to be space for indie music and and you know a good book will will come out of nowhere and rise to the surface based on an idea and if the idea isn't good enough um then it 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 won't work you're always going to have these different forms and um, and niches working in parallel. So just because the networks are, you know, putting a lot of money into podcasting and just because certain podcasts are marketed more hard than others, I don't think it means that everybody else who hasn't got those budgets doesn't get a look in. It just doesn't, culture doesn't work like that. Mm. But then in the last, say, 12 months, when did we have a Stano indie podcast breakthrough? Now, put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> see, I can't think of one. But then again... I can't even really think of any big, hugely marketed podcasts that have gone massive in the last 12 months either. Anything new. Like, just because things have got celebrities attached to them and have got money behind them doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be successful. If you look at shows like, in the last tournament, like Caliphate and things like that, that's got a lot of publicity. You know, some of the things coming out of the BBC, they tend to be associated with networks, I'd say, and this is kind of a shift that's occurred. Is that I think they, they are, it is more the networked programs that are getting holding attention. Or I, I know, but do, they, but do they hold the same amount of love from the fans ah, well, and mm. from the podcast community that the uh, that the more homegrown shows have? Just because you know, that's just because people are listening to them doesn't mean they love them. And yeah, that's mean, the authenticity thing. Yeah. One of the biggest podcasts from did you oh, did you listen to? Uh, Dr. Death, Fiona? Yes, I did, yes. Michael, did you listen to Dr. Death? I don't think <laughs> <Tomorrow>. you did. <laughs> I mean, and and it, it's huge, wasn't it? It was a huge 
It yeah. was one of the most successful podcasts of last year. It had none of that intimacy, did it? No. I, it? It didn't draw us in, but it was very popular. Does this volume of podcasts that we have now, this ever-increasing volume, make it harder to listen out, to kind of find new and interesting stuff? Or are we just stuck in our niches because that's what the aggregators tell us we're going to like? You've, you've always had this debate as to when, when you increase content, how do you find stuff? When I was trying to discover jazz music, I'd go to HMV and I'd look through the stuff. And then, of course, digitization comes and you think, well, and the shops disappear. And you think, well, how am I going to find something? And so, you know, the, the market always works out how to give you information in terms of how to find stuff. But the reality is you've only got 24 hours each day. And in fact, basically, and we know that capitalism is all about trying to take your time away from you in ways that you don't fully understand. And so you have competing markets. And so if you, if you have the desire to, to, to listen or to listen to music or do anything, you will then obviously have to scale, you know, have your criteria for, for listening. And, and so if, you, if, it's a, if it's an awful podcast, you'll switch it off. I think it's significant also that it's free. So you're not invested yeah. in the set. You know, in the, back in the dark ages when we bought albums and we spent money on it and we took it home, you think, you know, you get that first couple of songs and you're like, oh. This is this isn't what you know. This isn't what the NME told me it would be. <laughs> <laughs> but then you you soldier on, don't you? Because yeah. you've you've paid for it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you know we're likely to be more ruthless yeah. um, with podcasting, but also with music on Spotify or whatever. Because a recommender site has told you to listen to, you know, this new Ariana Grande single. And, oh dear, it's absolute shit. I'm going to try something <laughs> else. And so you know, so we're we're probably going to be more ruthless. Yeah. But that is the nature of free as well. That means that we're less inclined to listen to opinions or views or worldviews that jar with us and we're more inclined to turn off which is the whole thing about listening in and listening mm. out which actually when we began the research I was a little bit dismissive of but now I'm beginning to see its value because it's more about social media and web bubbles you know if you've got stuff that talks very specifically to your niche tastes that's very hypnotic and you, you have to force yourself to listen to something that might you might not quite agree with and that's where kind of traditional radio is quite good. When I go back to listening to radio and I listen to the news and they'll say something about Donald Trump and no one will shout that he's a motherfucker <laughs> and scream and shout, I can't wait to easily be impeached. But they might even put his point of view and it's really jarring. I'm like, what? There's two ways of looking at this issue? Surely not. So... As more and more people are listening to more and more audio in podcasting rather than on conventional streaming radio or in other ways, what, what is going to change with what we hear? Fiona, what do you think? Do you think we're, we're listening differently to other things because we listen to podcasts now? I think I'm, from a personal point of view, I think I'm more irritable with regular radio now. Like, why do I have to listen to this now? Who decided? I didn't decide. You know, I'm much more... Um, yeah, just a bit arsy about about <laughs> making decisions for myself rather than than thinking about, you know, a small room full of commissioning editors doing that for me. So on that on that front I think it's, you know, the fact that an organization like the BBC will will sort of archive its material now so that you can go back to it. That is responding to the idea of select, you know, of curating, I hate that word, curating your own playlist or whatever. Um so I think, yes, it, it has had an impact. But a lot of those you know, big media networks are playing catch-up, certainly, trying to sort of keep up with how we consume. 
I go the opposite extreme. Sometimes I listen to conventional radio, and I'm actually quite pleased they're making the decision for me for once. Yeah, I, I was going to say something opinion. similar. Yeah. It's really refreshing to not have to decide everything sometimes. Especially in the morning, yeah. I just find myself listening to conventional radio in the morning because it's like, I don't want to decide about anything. Just just play music at my head and just talk nonsense at me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in a bad mood. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's really nice not to be engaged like that at yeah. times. And, and that way I find that sometimes I discover things that I might not have chosen to listen to. A really good thing about listening to actual radio is that you can be surprised by things where sometimes you're not with podcasting, even though it's sort of free and everything's out there. And I suppose technically that should make it easier for you to go, ah, I can, I'll just try this thing. It might be good. It doesn't matter. I can turn it off. But sometimes, somehow, you, look somehow in the you usual don't. Places, right? You look in the usual places. We've gone through this sort of situation with podcasting where we've seen BuzzFeed fold, Panoply, who are a podcast network, uh, stop producing podcasts, Audible Originals, Mm -hmm. which was the Audible podcast wing, folded as well, and they kind of closed up. And who would have expected that where you have a a market where you're giving away the product for free, who actually thought that this was feasible? Is there a way of funding these programs in a market where you're giving it away for free, isn't this inevitably going to happen? So what we're talking about is the problem with the whole idea of a paywall. Why are you going to pay for a beautifully produced Ellen Horn Audible original when you have Radiolab that you can get for free? And but then, but then, is it sustainable when everything else is given away for free in the long run? Are we realizing that now that we? I mean, is this going to be a big bubble that's going to burst? I'm not sure in terms of bubbles and bursting, but. Is it possible that the things behind these paywalls maybe just weren't good enough to justify paying the extra money? You know, talking about Audible, they've d- they have done some really good stuff, but there's also a lot of stuff which is, you know, just basically copied of formats of other podcasts or just basic documentaries that don't particularly have an original voice or anything original to say. The podcasts weren't really well, engaging enough. You know, it's it's sort of the, the, the argument that um, Alex Bloomberg makes all the time that, public broadcasting is ready for capitalism, and he would much rather produce branded content for Microsoft.future than he would put the Gimlet stuff behind a paywall because he thinks that that's the way forward. I kind of agree with him. But but no one's listening to the branded stuff. None of the branded Gimlet shows have really landed and established themselves. They've just come out and disappeared. But maybe maybe they're not meant to be listened to. (laughs) I know. I mean that seriously. I, th- right? I, th- I think that is a, a, that might actually Poetic. be a point thing. It might just be a kind of a brand presence thing. Like what those yeah. big companies throw so much money towards things just to look like they're doing something. You can just, just imagine them in things. their in their office, you know, sitting on their office bicycles, surrounded by beanbags. <laughs> exactly. Going, we should have a podcast. We must have a podcast. We must. And no mm. one really gives a shit what yeah. that podcast looks like or sounds like. I mean, even within Gimlet, have I mean, as a and something I've noticed say in the last six months is how many Gimlet shows are uh, the adverts are advertising other Gimlet shows yes. which doesn't look like a sustainable economy to me I don't know about <laughs> these things but I think that's a it's, it's a Ponzi scheme isn't it that's the only <laughs> way it can exist so I'm slightly concerned about that as a model for funding and then in, I think that puts more control of the form back into these big networks again it goes back to the BBC and to WMYC and to those big Networks now are controlling the form even more because the access to funding is so limited. 
But you've always had lost leaders, you know, so, so it's, you're right, it's about presence. Shops are like that. You go into the West End, you go to, you know, there was a, a Marks and Spencer shop just opposite Covent Garden tube station. Well, the rent is so much, you, you're definitely going to be making a loss. But being there was more important for a period of time. So you've got a correlation there with, 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 with big, big corporations wanting yeah. podcasts. They just, they just want to be seen at the party. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, they don't have to hear it. Yeah. When the party moves on, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, what do we do then? <laughs> <laughs> then we go back to listening to people talking about their underpants, telling underpants before their podcast gets going, which is, you know, is something I thought I'd never be able to get used to. But now Mark Maron talking talking about, you know, the fit of his undercrackers, fine, <laughs> or Casper mattresses or Squarespace. And and it's something that we've, we've become accustomed to and generationally, I think, is is something that makes a difference if you're young you're 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 into that you can you can deal with it and move on perhaps if you're an older listener you find it you know a bit obstructive and back to radio 4 for me so I don't really, it's the thing, the generational thing that you were mm. talking about. I don't really mind the adverts. I'll just, you know. This is making me feel good because I'm, I'm significantly older than you, but I don't mind them either. Taking up this thread of commercialization and thinking of ways to make money through your podcasts, does anybody think that the podcast space is destined to become just a sandbox for TV producers who are trialing ideas? This kind of pursuit of the licensing deal seems a very, um, a very, compelling force these days but pe- haven't people been doing that on radio for ages that's the old bbc model isn't yeah. it of testing it's, uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it as a yeah. radio for comedy it'll like cost a about 600 quid and then if it works we'll put it on the telly how many shows have gone across and actually been successful in that transition homecoming is quite a sort of you know it works in both mediums actually i've watched the tv show and i listen to the podcast and um I think that'll be, you know, that actually could be the death knell in some ways because now everyone's going to think, well, that worked. Let's let's do that. Let's hope that you know, it's well, like a road test. I don't necessarily yeah. think it's it's a bad thing, but I suppose if you know, if all these creators are off making their TV shows now, then they won't be making continued series of the original podcast that oh, made it free successful. Up the space. But is it freeing the space of the good stuff? And are we just left with the detritus? I don't no, think so. the good stuff will rise. No, I don't think so at all because I, what I think is I think they're finding that the stuff that works in podcasting works because it's distinctively podcast. And when you make that transition into TV, um, it often fails. It fails most of the time, right? But exactly. Aren't we, aren't we losing that talent? Are, are they stealing the podcast <laughs> talent? They can have Alex Inc. They can have that for free. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about podcasting statistics and podcasting charts and the way people discover podcasts. Um, Edison Research in the U.S. has been systematically studying podcasting since 2006, and they do this annual report called The Infinite Dial. And it has a lot of info on the way people are discovering podcasting, listening to podcasting, where they're listening, how they're listening. I know many of you have had a chance to look at this. Um, Is there anything that kind of pops out? I thought it was interesting that half of all podcasts are consumed at home. I would have thought more would have been consumed in cars and stuff. But it appears that people still listen to radio in their cars. And not that much, what I'd say, walking around, doing other things, etc. So, in fact, it's, it's interesting. It's home, car, 
yeah, mostly. Yeah. And that's not, and that's quite a traditional mode, actually. And it's not what people would expect, because mm. often no, podcasts no. are talked about as being, you know, for commuters mostly. Yeah. 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 But in that same report, they're saying that 69% of podcast listening happens on mobile devices. So they're listening on mobile devices while they're at home, yeah. maybe. I wonder if that's a symptom of what we didn't analyze a lot in the book, which is chat casts, which I don't think you're really designed to listen to intensely. Mm. And maybe that's just someone wittering away in the corner of the room on a radio or on a smart speaker and you tune in and out and you only pick up the bits you're interested in. I mean, maybe that's what that's indicative of, as opposed to all this very highly crafted content that we're all interested in and that would you'd, you'd lose if you're doing the cooking. Yeah. Yeah. I listen you know, to a lot of chat casts when it comes to cooking, cleaning the bathroom, hoovering, just turn it up really, really loud. But, you know, a lot of stuff that is just sort of wittering miss- on in the background. And it doesn't matter if you miss chunks because yeah, of Yeah, partly because I've usually listened to it before. <laughs> we always associate podcasting with commuters, but the whole idea of uh, radio as wallpaper and, you know, a voice in the background and podcasting as more intent listening yeah, yeah, yeah. it sort of flies in the face of that a bit doesn't it like, personally i'm rather allergic to chat casts she says sitting here chatting <laughs> with lots of other people but I, it's not something that i really voluntarily listen to you know i'm i'm i, I like narrative pods and documentaries so I, I find that very interesting that the, the, the things that i i don't want to listen to on radio are being done in podcasting and being consumed in the same fashion yeah. Are chatcasts the kind of podcast that you should be listening to at high speed, like you can do if you have Pocket Cast, that app on your phone? I'm a, I'm a high speed. Is anyone else a high speed listener? Of you're course a, not. I no. hate it. Really? I'm the only one. Lance, you're the, you're the odd you're one. You're the out. only one who, respect, who doesn't respect culture. You're a Philistine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ella called you a barbarian burning, burning. when you were out of the room. <laughs> I find it's the only way to listen to Radio 3 chat, uh, podcasts is on double speed, and then you're basically you've moved Radio 3. BBC Radio 3 up to kind of normal speed and you can actually pay attention to them. But other than that, I think that's a symptom of the... I've only started doing it because of the sheer quantity of material. Mm. And I think I've still got the mentality I had when I first encountered the medium <laughs> that I have to try and listen to everything. Every documentary that <laughs> Every the World Service puts out. Fiona, do you ever listen at high speed? No. You must be Why? What, I, I have the same gut reaction that it's the work of the devil. Why do you resist it? I like voices that come out like they come out you know it's the it goes back to the intimacy thing which i think we'll get on to later but part of that is the natural tone of people's voices and some you know as in radio and podcasting some voices are excellent to listen to so let's talk about an interesting idea that comes out of edison research's uh reports over the years on podcasting the idea of share of ear so that is the percentage of time that people listen to anything being devoted to podcasts so that's been going up more people have been spending more of their listening time listening to podcasts what do we make of that it's a good marketing ploy i'm I'm not convinced uh no no you know, because it doesn't really tell you the quality of what people are doing when they're doing it. I think it's quite good if, if you're getting a bit more of a market, for example, of people's attention. But I don't think that that just tells you a little something. You really need to know what people are doing, why they're making their choices. I look at this stuff and, and, I, and I'm not sure how qualitative it is, actually. You know, it's... Shall I tell you my little story about Apple and their research team? Go on. 
I get a phone call when I did the iPod book I got from the, the head of research at Apple Corporation. He phones me up at home, which immediately annoyed me because I said, how did you get my phone number? And he said, Michael, we're really interested in your research. You know, do you have the statistics? And I say, I don't have any statistics. It's, it's qualitative. Oh, he says. I said, I could, you know, jiggle stuff around, but I'd be happy... I'd be happy to come and talk to your executives in, 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 in California. And then he says to me, First he, says, class. <laughs> he says, well, Michael, he says, if there's no statistics, I couldn't waste the time of my executives. For going through. <laughs> and, 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 and these are the same people that produce this stuff. Yeah? And Business I, and, people <laughs> love statistics. <laughs> because, love because it's statistics. quantifiable. So I, I, I think it's more interesting looking to see what people are doing how they're making choices, what they're doing as well as. And with the hope that actually that increased amount is, is, is saying something interesting rather than just an increased amount. Fiona, what do you think Nick Kwa would say <laughs> if you told him that statistics didn't matter? <laughs> I think he'd just lie on the ground crying. Um, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't really know what to, I, it's not something. It sounds terrible coming from somebody who writes about podcasts week in week out. But I don't really care. <laughs> uh, what I care about is the stuff that's being made and whether it's any good. Mm. Which is why I'm not a, an academic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that confuses me in my head about those statistics is, yeah, maybe more people are listening, but there's also so much more stuff. Mm. So it's not like oh, more people are mm. listening to BBC Radio Two. It's more people are listening to more things and people are just spread over this never-ending ocean of content. But, but what they're saying is that if you only listen to four hours a day of anything, yeah. more of those four hours are spent on podcasts now than they ever were. And? <laughs> I think it, I mean, it comes back to the fact that I think we used to compete as producers for airtime and that was precious. And now ear time's become precious. It's not difficult to, get, to distribute, but to get the share of an audience's attention is what we're fighting. For your ears Let's take a break for a creative piece. Uh, this one's being produced by Ella and Jack. It plays the poetry of live performance because unlike a chat cast, we've actually edited this show and there were lots of wonderful little errors and mistakes and hiccups and we've decided to make something beautiful out of them. This is For Your Ears Only, the audio series that takes a deep... Uh, no, it doesn't. Three, two, one. Deep, 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 deep. Deep, so in deep, fact, it was deep, a privatized deep, uh, experience. Deep, it then deep, moves into a more public deep, arena, deep, and then there's all that research, deep, which is you know deep, people walking down deep, streets and they deep, they can follow deep, a radio program deep, because it's hot weather deep, and everybody ask got their everyone radio. about their first memory of podcast listening. Deep.
Maybe the two key characteristics of podcasting that we noticed in our research were high levels of authenticity and intimacy. I'm curious if we think those two things are still really important in podcasting and necessary in podcasting's future. Um, Yes, this idea that we might be getting tired of the intimate voice in your ear, I don't buy that at all. I think it's still what singles out podcasting from, you know, if, if, if we're looking at radio and podcasting as overlapping spheres, but, you know, the furthest point is that with podcasting from radio is that intimacy where people are talking about their life experience in a way that they just couldn't do on mainstream radio. There's a podcast called No Feeling is Final about suicide, and which sounds cheery, doesn't it? But <laughs> it's, uh, it was actually a very joyful in some ways and also very moving and also very upsetting in other ways podcast about an Australian woman called Honor Eastley who has suicidal feelings and how she how she moves through life and wrangles with those feelings you know that idea of a woman doing a sort of documentary on herself as she goes through suicidal feelings as she checks herself into a psych ward as she re-records herself at the end of that when she's leaving the psych ward and thinking about how that has improved her mental health. Actually, it turns out it hasn't at all. She just says you go to a psych ward to 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 learn to live so th- in order to save your life so that you don't die and so on and so on and so on. The, I mean, the whole podcast was startling in its intimacy and, and it had a lot in common with the Caitlin Press podcast called No, which was about sexual consent, where, um, you know, she's documenting an experience she's had with a man that she's very uncomfortable about. She goes and has a conversation with him about it. She talks to her mother about what she's been taught about her own body and her attitude to sex and consent. And it's so deeply intimate that you do feel a bit of an intruder. There's there's a lot of discomfort in listening to this stuff. But there's, these are voices or perspectives that I just haven't heard before in audio or actually in life generally, you know, the stuff that we're able to talk about now that we haven't been able to talk about before. And podcasting or podcasts are a great outlet for that. So to me, you know, that intimacy, which is which goes hand in hand with authenticity, there's, these are, you know, people talking about real life experiences that aren't actually uncommon, but they're talking about them in a way which is articulate and moving and absolutely honest and really bloody brutal at mm. times is, to me, very much part of what podcasting is for, or, or rather what has made that medium shine. We were talking about the BBC producing podcasts and what the road forward is for them. And I can see how they could create quite intimate podcasts. It's harder for me to get my head around this idea of authenticity when you're talking about a big institutional apparatus. I think intimacy, they can achieve, particularly if you look at, say, more niche stations like Radio 3 or something like that, where people are kind of opting in to, to listen to them anyway. It's not mainstream content. So therefore, you could have different types of voices and different types of approaches. But the fundamental question is, can they do anything that's authentic? Because they would, you know, because you're, someone else is, is choosing and selecting that material to go on air. Um, and they might then, can they really, if, if we, in this book, <laughs> have defined authenticity in our 13 criteria, and the BBC can't do it, can the BBC make podcasts per se? If you really want to get people to produce work 
with a sense of authenticity, then there has to be a degree of trust in them. And then you kind of have to be closer to, say, what the Arts Council does with organisations to fund an organisation and let them get on making their stuff and then just review the stuff occasionally that they're producing. But don't be prescriptive about what they're doing as long as they don't get you into to trouble. But I can't imagine the BBC doing that. So then you have to do away with the whole commissioning process. I think mean, that would be the I only mean, way as, to do as it. As in the... The commission... Well, you, it's, it, you, the commissioner becomes an en- enabler. You basically grant groups of people money to do a thing, but they decide what the thing is. Yes, rather so than looking at their idea and... Yeah. yeah. So in spite of all the freedom... Uh, podcasting feels like it's becoming more and more genre-driven, more and more hemmed in by very, very familiar forms. We're, we're drowning in highly sculpted personal narratives about murders, for example. Um, what's what's going on here, and and what's the antidote to this, Fiona? Um, we need to um, devise some sort of awful punishment for people who make tri- true crime series, simply. Or even who pitch true crime series. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Actual death. And then we can make a podcast about, about their, their ritual yes. execution. Oh, my God. That's about a that? brilliant idea. <laughs> Let's make this podcast about that. No, I mean, it's a shame what's happened with true crime. Um, and I, I sense from talking to people who listen to podcasts who don't think too hard about them outside of that experience of listening... Um, that there's still an appetite for true crime. And as long as that appetite's there, it's going to keep on going. But, you know, as somebody who is sort of sifting through, you know, I have my own sifting process of uh, going through podcasts and working out whether it's something I'd like to write about and whether it's something I'd like to feature and would be valuable to the readers. Anything where there's a pretty student who's a woman who's dead can go can, somewhere else can go it's really, basically a genre in and of itself it, it is the, the lady women yes the lady corpses the lady corpses are everywhere and enough really and actually last year or maybe it was this year i, I now forget um the onion made a fantastic podcast called a very fatal murder which was a brilliant piss take of the the classic um podcast where it had it, it just ticked all the boxes of uh, pretty white girl, uh, massive uh, achiever, cheerleader, everything, dead, lovely, tick. Have we got a journalist who's going to come in and have a, some sort of identity crisis while reporting on this story, <laughs> tick, and so on and so on and so on. It was brilliant. And I thought, having heard that podcast and written about it, going, hooray, right, may this be the end, may this explode, this whole stupid process, that that, that, would, be, that would be it. And no, I'm... I'm Tons more. Let's not blame podcasters for this entirely because, you know, there's roaring trade in books about serial killers. There's roaring trade in, in um, TV, bad, TV well. bad detective series. So it's not, you know, we can't blame the podcasters entirely. There is there is a market for this stuff, but it's just suffocating. But at the same time, I'm having a massive moan about this while saying this is just what happens. You know, in the early 2000s or maybe late 90s, there were scores of young men with guitars in bands writing songs that sounded a bit like Coldplay. And um, because they see you see something being hugely successful and you copy it, that's just what people do. And commissioning editors as well want, you know, want to know what the next serial is. So people are always going to be trying to replicate the thing that was a breakout hit. And I 
slightly feel sorry for the makers of cereal, not too much, but but I do because I think that was an unintended sort of byproduct of what what they made with that first series. You know, they they, they invented a genre purely by accident, and now it's it's being parodied. Mm. It's being parodied without people know it's knowing it's being parodied, and it's just a general embarrassment. Are we still hearing new voices on podcasts, voices that we haven't heard before? Anybody? I think it's something that is um, slightly fading in so much as where certain podcasting voices have become authoritative and famous in their in their world. Um, I don't think someone like Caitlin Press, for instance, is a international celebrity, but those who are into podcasting know her name. I think as those people are making newer programs and, and we begin to follow their careers, then we take less of a punt than we used to on unknown names. Mm. And I think that's a shame. And I'm just as guilty of that as everybody else. Oh, you know, what? what's... So Jad, uh, Jad what's his name? Abum Rad. Yeah, um, does a, an offshoot of, of Radio Lab. Oh, yes, I must listen to that rather than going, this sounds like an interesting yeah. theme. I don't yeah. really care who's telling that story. But he's he's a podcast celebrity. But I think yes. there's, there's the problem of celebrity celebrity drowning the, podcasting at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, Conan, why do we need a Conan O'Brien show? He's already got a... Is he still got an American TV show? Yeah, I think he's got a mouthpiece already. For me, podcasting was always a chance to hear voices that you wouldn't normally hear and to hear them talking in ways you wouldn't normally hear people talking. And so when you get more mainstream or more celebrity-based shows, I'm like, well, we've, they've already got, they've got the media. Go back to your place. And, you know, and, I'd, and I would rather have idiosyncratic and unusual people coming up, you know, from this within this form. But a lot of the time these, you know, they don't, they, they come, they go, these celebrities. I, you know, very few of them actually, as far as I'm aware, will consistently produce a podcast unless they've got something like Alec Baldwin, for instance. Now he's got his podcast. Has anyone heard that one? Yeah. It's actually pretty good. And you can see why he's the guy doing it, yeah. can't you? Um, and And I think there is... You know, I'm sort of arguing both sides. I don't really know what, how how I feel, which side I come down on, because there is something positive about having a name that you know flickers some sort of recognition in people's heads for opening up the world of podcasting to people who weren't going to listen to begin with. I could see Mark Maron or Alec Baldwin as an avenue into podcasting as a big yes. thing. I, I I feel that less so with Stephen Fry, for example. Oh no, I could, there's no way you're going to get me to listen to Stephen Fry on a podcast. I mean, yeah. or go use away. Stephen Fry to get you into podcasting yes, yes, as a thing. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But in in many ways, I'm kind of more forgiving of the actual A-list people who do try and do podcasts or you know, producers go, ah, oh, we'll, we'll get Stephen Fry in. People will listen to it then. The really depressing ones are they're like the D-list people. That just feels a bit tragic. I just want to finish by going around the table and asking everyone what they think lies ahead for podcasting. So, Michael, I want to start with you. What is the future of podcasting? If, you, if you're looking at the trajectory, it's bright. I mean, you're, you're going to get increasing diversity. You'll, you'll get the tensions that we've been talking about magnified, probably. But I don't think that tension's a bad thing. But if, if you're increasing listening and the numbers of programs. So I'd, I'd, I would be pretty optimistic of the future, which means also you'll sell more books. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Ella? To be honest, 
I don't know. And I'm just quite looking forward to finding out, you know, I've been doing this for ages. It is great to sit and analyse and think about it, but sometimes it's fun to just sort of go with it and see what happens. And if, you know, a new serial happens, something surprising happens, it won't be surprising if we've predicted it and planned for it. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Fiona? I don't actually see another serial happening, um, which I think is a merciful relief to everyone. I mean, not to be... I don't want to make predictions that that they're going to come back and bite me in the arse, but um, I don't think the podcasting landscape is the same. I don't think one single podcast can quite make that impact. God, I'm going to regret saying this, aren't I? Um, but I think there's a there's still, if you look at the figures of the amount of people listening to podcasts at the moment, they look good, they're going up nicely, but there's still a massive, massive, massive untapped market. And I still have people asking, what is a podcast? And even young people, you know, student age people, what is a podcast? So in some ways, I just, I want to bat them over the head and say, wake up, grandma. But on the other hand, I think, well, great, because there's more people that haven't found it yet that will do quite soon. Lance, what lies ahead? I think probably a lot of growth and then segmentation. So the idea that that we could call a book podcasting, it would be like in 10 years time, the idea of having a book with the word film on the cover <laughs> and say, oh, no, we, we're covering film. <laughs> but what film? No, just just film. Yeah. I think that's the thing. That's I mean, we grabbed that title. We did. At that point and interviewed those people when you could say, yeah, we interviewed pretty much all the big players in podcasting. That's impossible now and in 10 years time will be unfeasible to to think about so yeah growth and then segmentation within that what do you think martin i think the future lies with curation i know you're going to kick me in the teeth for (laughs) saying that fiona but i think the future lies in subscriptions to editing services that find podcasts that you're going to find not just resonate with what you already think and believe but will be interested in and curious about that's what i think That's it for our roundtable discussion on the future of podcasting that you've been listening to on For Your Ears Only. We've been talking with Fiona Sturgis of the FT, Michael Bull of the University of Sussex, and Ella Gray Thomas, producer of For Your Ears Only. And that's the end of the series. It is indeed. Do please check out our book, uh, Podcasting the Audio Media Revolution, which is out now with Bloomsbury. I'm Lance Dan. And I'm Martin Spinelli. Please follow us on social media at Ears Only Podcast. You can follow Lance at Lance Dan and find us on the web at earsonlypodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. This is the last episode of For Your Ears Only, maybe season one, who knows. For Your Ears Only was produced by Jack F. Dewars and Ella Gray Thomas. This episode was presented by Lance Dan and Martin Spinelli, and our guests were Fiona Sturgis, Michael Bull, and Ella Gray Thomas. Martin was also our executive producer, and Andrew Duff created our sound. We had support from Arts Council England, Bloomsbury Publishing, and the School of Media, Film and Music at the University of Sussex, and the School of Media at the University of Brighton. Our distribution was made possible by Reframe of the University of Sussex and Resonance FM. And we had support in our initial interviews from a British Academy Leverhulme Research Grant. For more information, please visit earsonlypodcast.com.